0: Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, expert in child development, and lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning, school culture, and discipline. In general, it provides adults and children with the skills to be disciplined enough to set and achieve goals. Conscious enough to know you're off track and connected enough to others so that you will be persistent. So what are real teachers? Real teachers are real people who have a life both inside and outside the classroom. All teachers have experienced those moments at the grocery store or shopping when you run into a student. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're in the grocery store. They look shocked that their teacher would be in Walmart sometimes i think school districts state departments of education others that make decisions for teachers forget teachers are real people with real lives outside of their school they don't comprehend the stresses of the job they often look at early childhood education as babysitting they question whether to fund early childhood education leaving teachers without the training and the pay needed to be successful yet Real teachers get up day after day and give their heart and souls to others. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to love themselves as much as they love others. Today, we're talking about the unique situation of how to educate the homeless. The first elementary school I personally transformed was, with conscious discipline, was in Orlando and had a large population of homeless children. Boy, was that an experience and an eye-opener for me. I was lacking any experience with homeless children. Now, of course, I had heard the statistics, you know, half a million homeless, 25% are children. I mean, I knew the data. I had given money and time to local shelters and read research on the impact of homelessness on children. I was aware that homeless children suffer significant delays in all areas of development, physical, emotional, cognitive, social, and behavioral And by the time they reach school age, they have major developmental delays and emotional problems. I knew this. I also knew that homeless preschoolers receive fewer services than any other children their age. Despite all this, I had no real-life experience and understanding. I had none. I had knowledge without experience. So I started working with the elementary school where 20% of the children were homeless. And our first goal, of course, was to lower the stress on teachers and students by increasing safety and connection. Success requires that we have low stress and high challenge. And like many schools, this one had high stress and high challenge, a common and simple formula for failure. The principal was completely on board with conscious discipline and ready to do whatever it took for the school to be successful and meet the needs of the children and families it served. She sifted the school focus from academic drilling to developmentally appropriate teaching. We put play back in kindergarten. We reinstated recess, brought back art and music, and integrated more throughout the school. We then started working on creating a compassionate school culture that we call in Conscious Discipline the school family. We moved from the factory model of education, relying on rewards and punishments, to a family model of education— relying on meeting the needs of the whole child and family through safety, connection, and problem solving. And what happens then is the school family embeds resiliency into the culture. Now, resilience is a person's ability to adapt to the moment, especially stressful ones. It lets you rise up after a challenge, face adversity, and cope with difficult situations in healthy ways. Now, all of us need to be resilient, but certainly families who are homeless need it more than ever the development of resilience is closely linked to what has been called family privilege. Now, I was raised with family privilege, so this was a difficult thing for me to wrap my head around. Family privilege is this notion that I felt safe enough. I felt loved enough. I felt capable enough to explore every corner of my physical and mental world. It provided me the luxury of imagining I was a rock star, an inventor, or apprentice. Well, that was a princess, but that's a lie, because I don't think I really played princess. I was free to create with toys. I, I imagined dragons in the clouds as I lay in the grass. I didn't have to worry about where my meal next meal came from or where I would sleep at night. So creating a school family embeds family privilege into the classroom by creating school cultures Modeled after healthy families. It is a compassionate culture that says we're all in this together. Now here's what happened. So after understanding all this family privilege and stuff, I'll never forget this day. I was called to the school because a second-grade homeless student tried to hang himself with a belt in the closet. Now, the teachers had already talked to him before they called me, and luckily, I lived in the same town, so I hurried down to the school. so the teachers asked him why. And he said, because they canceled recess for an assembly. Now, some of the teachers couldn't understand this. They couldn't wrap their head around it. How could this little, in their mind, small event spark such a drastic choice? And as I sat with this young boy and listened to him talk, I understood what was underneath his words. In that one moment on that playground, he felt safe enough, loved enough, capable enough to let down his guard. He was free. He was a child. And he was free to play. And imagine dragons in the cloud. He had a moment. He had a taste of what was called family privilege. And losing that moment to him was like a death. So. It certainly opened my eyes to what it feels like to have that family privilege, to have that roof over your head, to have that next meal. And today, we're going to talk to someone who knows that also. Today, I've invited Abby Cruz to talk with us. Abby is a certified conscious discipline instructor, but more importantly, she's the founder and executive director of the playing field in Madison, Wisconsin. The Playing Field is a unique early childhood program created by Abby, which cares for and educates children experiencing homelessness right alongside children from Advantage background. She brought two groups of people together that you rarely find in the same place. So welcome, Abby, to Real Talk for Real Teachers.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So tell me about this. I mean, you're looking at you talk about the disparity, disparity between these kids who are homeless and the disparity between these children who have other advantages. So tell me the steps. What led you to this the playing field? And I'm assuming it's like leveling the playing field. Is that right?
1: Yes. That and also we are very committed to play.
0: (laughs) Okay. kind of a dual meaning. So what were the steps that led you to take this bold adventure and do this?
1: Well, um, I moved to Madison from another community, and I was really struck immediately by the segregation of the early childhood programs. I traveled to quite a few different programs, and really from the time I moved here, was really struck by the amount of segregation, and then started hearing across the news, uh, Wisconsin is the number one place for disparity between white and minority children, and I mm-hmm. knew immediately that that um, didn't only apply to early childhood programs, but that was a big part of it. And I made the decision to leave my position with Head Start, where I was the professional development person. And then I came to the University of Wisconsin to the preschool lab. And it was like two different worlds. I left Head Start, came to the UW. When I was at Head Start, I would hear things like, my dad's in jail. And when I came to the university, I heard the children say things like, my dad's taken me to Argentina this summer, or <laughs> I'm going to engineering yeah. camp. These big, right, yeah. big differences. Yeah. And was really struck by how these children who had the best of everything also had really skilled teachers, low ratios, great environments, excellent curriculum. And it kind of was just the perfect storm. At the same time I was seeing all this, um, Head Start approached me with this opportunity to partner with them through an early Head Start grant, focusing on children experiencing homelessness. And that's children under three. And then um, at the same time, the University of Wisconsin made the decision to close the program that I had just been hired in. So I got to use my power of acceptance and um, accept the moment as it is and decided to start this program in the same location that had housed the UW program. When the UW left, we had 18 days between when they pulled out and when we had to open the new program.
0: Wow. 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 But what insight that you had to walk into a culture and see that disparity and then say to yourself, I can do something about that. Now, did you have any doubts that conscious discipline would work or would be helpful with this population and this co-mingling of groups? I mean, or were you like conscious discipline is the way we can do this?
1: I I, My doubt wasn't about conscious discipline. My doubt was, will affluent families who can afford to choose anything for their child choose a program where their child's going to school with children experiencing homelessness? I didn't know. Would would privately funded families choose this? But I did believe that because of conscious discipline and the school family model, we could meet the needs of all children. And so that was what
0: gave me the courage to try. And so, so... So you were believing that in a school family, then it would it it would help both sets of children, the children that could be of service were growing immaculately and the children that needed more help would also be served by the children within the classroom. Is that what you were doing? Yes, exactly. Okay, so how did you get the staff? I mean, where did you find the people and how did you train your, your people with conscious discipline?
1: So that's been a real challenge for us. We have found it very difficult to find people who can really handle the level of trauma that we're seeing with a lot of our children. Um, But we've invested really heavily in Conscious Discipline. Obviously, I'm an instructor, so they get tons of training with me. We've also had other trainers come in, and we have sent almost all of our staff to CD1. We sent uh, five teachers last summer, and we're sending five more this summer.
0: And CD1 is the week-long kind of immersion program to be learning about and living conscious discipline.
1: Just um, We just feel like we're one of the only programs that we know of in this area that's fully implementing conscious discipline. And there's nothing that these teachers come with in terms of past experience in their education that really prepares them to deal with the level of trauma that they're going to see. And we have this opportunity to offer them conscious discipline so they have the tools that they need.
0: So so give me an example. So paint a picture for me of uh, of the behaviors that you're seeing uh, with the children that are experiencing so much trauma.
1: So we had a little guy that enrolled with us right when we opened. He was really big for his age, but he was only two and a half. And he was one of the most stressed children I've ever worked with. He was biting everyone that got within striking distance. And the staff did a really good job of shielding The other children for the most part, but then they became the targets. So the staff was getting bitten a lot, getting bitten frequently. And um, every day this little guy would wake up from his nap and panic and say, where am I going to sleep tonight? Am I going to have a bed? I don't like to sleep on the floor. And um, it's really heartbreaking when you can't answer that question. You know, you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight. Yeah. And so um, I kept telling the staff, eye contact, touch, presence, playfulness, and I walked into a classroom one day, and the teacher was cradling like this big baby, and he had a big smile on his face, and she had a big smile on her face, and they were eye to eye, and I had this moment where I was like, yes, we're doing it. And then he turned just that quick, and he bit her in the arm. And I thought, what am I missing? And so I went back to some of my conscious discipline instructor friends, and somebody said, Skin to skin contact. Don't forget the skin to skin contact. And so we started rubbing his back, rubbing his hands, rubbing his face. And really within a week, he quit biting. And what we saw over the course of the school year was this kid went from being overloaded with stress, completely aggressive to everybody, to being the most empathetic kid that I have ever seen. Um, Just on a daily basis. Like he would, one day he was out on the playground and somebody walked by and kicked over this little girl's bucket of water. And before she could even, you know, have, an, have a reaction, he said, oh, he kicked over your, bu- your water. Here, have some of mine. And he poured his water into her bucket. And um, one day a little child got on the bus and they didn't have their bear that we used to say hello and goodbye to the children. And he said, here, take my bear. And we just saw this kid develop this empathy. And I know that he would have been quickly expelled from any other program. But our staff mm-hmm. had those skills to work with him. And we're really grateful for those.
0: Boy, that has to feel good on on your side to see this. And I mean, I know that it's not easy and it's a hard row, but you stuck with it. And it it had to be uh exciting to see some success for your staff also. Um, yeah,
1: those are the moments that keep us going.
0: <laughs> yes. So how how do you deal with the with the parents? I mean, how are, how are you involving the parents who also don't know where they're going to sleep at night? Right. How,
1: we um, we actually take the school model, the school family model very seriously, and we do everything we can to help the families just like we would if they were our own brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles. We have a family emergency account, and so when we have families that maybe they are sleeping in their car and it's going to be 20 below, we can put them in a hotel, or um, I had a mom come in today and she needs diapers and wipes, and we were able to pull from that family emergency fund to help in those situations. We do have a family outreach worker who does a lot with the families around jobs and housing and that kind of thing. But um, we also provide conscious discipline training for our families, and we're actually expanding that next year. And um, I can just see that it's made such a difference. I mean, we had one mom who would come to the bus in the morning cursing at her children. And after she participated in some conscious discipline training, she came to the bus and did I love you rituals with her children in the morning instead of cursing at them. So oh, it's good wow. to see the families get those skills too.
0: Right. And could you tell, could you see it on her face? I mean, couldn't you see the difference on her body and on the child's body? Absolutely. We,
1: I mean, I can't tell you the transformation this, this mom, she would come to family nights and, and I would do a little bit of consciousness, discipline training at every family night. And honestly, I didn't think she was listening at all. I thought she just wanted me to be quiet so she could get to the meal. <laughs> <laughs> but she came in one day and she was in tears and she said, you know what? It's just like what you said. I'm parenting the way I was parented. I don't know how to connect with my kids. All I know is how to work and try to put food on the table. I need you to help me. And she invited us into her home. We did some conscious discipline training, not just with her, but with her older kids too, and saw them going from being very critical and very harsh with each other to being more loving and accepting and kind. And it made a huge difference. And the older kids, even their faces, when we would come, they would just light up. And um, Mm -hmm. I remember the first time we went into the house, she was really really hard verbally with her kids, really harsh and saying a lot of really, really unkind things. And I was walking out and the older boy was there and I looked at him and I said, I see you. I see you. Since I've been here, you've washed the dishes, you've taken out the trash, you've helped your younger brother. You're so helpful. And he just looked at me with this look of shock on his face. Like he didn't even know that he wasn't invisible. You know, like what? You see me? And um, and that opened the door for us to work with a whole family. And it was just beautiful to see the transformation to her bringing them to the bus and saying, goodbye, princess, I'll be thinking of you. You know, that made the huge difference between what we saw at the beginning of the school year.
0: So now how let's go to the other side of the equation. So you've got on one side, you've got homeless children, probably with more than the average trauma going on. And then you've Mm -hmm. got. Uh, more advantaged children. Of course, that doesn't mean they're short on trauma, but they're more advantaged. How do those parents, uh, I mean, do you have to talk those parents into coming into the program, or how's that gone for you? They just say, oh, yeah, this will be a great learning opportunity for both, or talk to us about that.
1: I think there are enough people in Madison that want to see these issues of disparity addressed, and this kind of is an idea that was just right for the time. I think a lot of people can look at it and say, yeah, absolutely, this is this is needed in our community. And so we do tours a little differently than most centers. We only do center, we only do center tours once a week and we lay our mission and our model out before people. And we say, if you choose to join our school family, this is what we expect from you. We expect you to get to know some of the conscious discipline practices. We expect you to get to know people that are different from you to support our model and our mission and, you know, attend the family nights. And so it's not for everybody and, and that's okay. Okay. But the families that are here are really, really committed to this mission and model. We're really grateful for them.
0: Have you ever had a tour where it kind of, oh, like, I wish you hadn't have seen that moment? Have oh, yeah. Ever-
1: yeah. Yeah. Our, um, one of our questions that we thought about asking, we haven't done it, but one of the questions we thought about asking pr- prospective families is, what are you going to think if your kid comes home and drops the F word? <laughs> but um, I was giving a tour to a privately funded family one week, and it was right after we'd had Thanksgiving break. So the kids had been... Uh, way longer than normal. So when I came in, they were really happy to see me. And I was, I showed the mom around the classroom and then it was time for me to go. And this little guy was still kind of hanging on. And I said, I need to go. I'll come back and see you in a little bit. And he just starts using the F word as loud as he can over and over and over. And I'm saying, you know, it's really hard. I have to go. I'm going to come back. Miss Sarah is going to keep you safe. And he's like, F you, F you. And I'm like peeling him off of me. And I finished the tour with the mom. And And at the end, I said, well, do you have any questions? (laughs) She said, I noticed you didn't really respond to that child using the F word. And I said, well, actually, I responded to his intent. And his intent was to tell me he really didn't want me to go. And so when she left, I looked at my assistant and I said, well, we'll never see that one again. (laughs) But um, Happily, she came back two days later with her paperwork and said of all the centers she visited, we were her first choice.
0: Wow. Impressive. Impressive. He said, yeah, you
1: may be our people.
0: <laughs> so do you do any kind of testing with the kids or monitoring of their development? I mean, have you seen improvements in language development, cognitive development? I mean, certainly I'm hoping you're seeing social emotional development because that's what consciousness is about. But are you seeing the kids overall development increasing because the developmental delays in homeless kids are well documented? Can you see improvement?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We are seeing such an increase in their ability to learn once they know they're safe and loved. Once we've met that need for safety and connection, they can learn just as well as any other child and uh, really the sky's the limit for them. And we're really seeing, I mean, they are tracked. We use a couple of different assessments and they're tracked when they come in and then then quarterly. But yeah, definitely we're seeing gains with them. And um, as, as soon as they know that they're safe and loved, they can they can do everything that any other child can do.
0: so w- when they first enter your classroom, especially the homeless uh, children, what is your procedures with them when they first show up? I mean,
1: well, we do a pre-enrollment meeting with the family before they come. So we sit down, we meet them we meet the family, We find out a little bit about them. We tell them about us. We find out about their child as much as we can. A lot of our children come on the bus, so as soon as they get on the bus, we start our day. The bus is not downtime. The bus is curriculum time, and so we do greetings when the children get on the bus. Um, We sing a little song to them about keeping safe when we buckle them in their seatbelts. We have little bye-bye bears that they kiss goodbye for the families kiss goodbye and give to the children as they go. Um, A morning message on our bus. Everything that we do in the classrooms, we do on the bus. And so wow. um, when they get off the bus, we we have everybody is like a party. We go and we say the bus is here, the bus is here. And so everybody comes out and greets the bus. And then we all go to our gross motor space and we do a brain smart start, which is an activity to unite, an activity to connect, an activity to disengage stress and an activity to commit. And we start every day like that. It was really sweet. Last year, we had this little guy. He'd been with us about two weeks and then we got a new child on the bus and that child was really you know, stressed about being on a bus. These are really young children on a school bus. And we looked over and he was doing I love you
0: ritual on our hand. Oh. And this is what we do on the bus. That is amazing. I hadn't heard about that, that you do everything in the classroom you use on the bus. Now, who's riding on the bus with them?
1: So we have a bus driver and then we also have a bus assistant. So the bus assistant is the one that starts implementing consciousness fun on the bus.
0: Wow. And so now when you do your training, you train all everybody at one time, or h- how do you do the training in Conscious Discipline?
1: With the staff? Yes. So we have some days that we close for, for training, and we do Conscious Discipline at all those days. But then when we bring new people on, we onboard them. We use the videos, the Conscious Discipline DVDs, and um, some training with me. And then if we have several new people, we'll try to pull some extra trainings like in the evening. But we have... Um, pretty extensive training for people before they get to to go to
0: the week-long conscious discipline in Florida. Wonderful. So now, what advice would you give um, to anybody who wanted to either try to replicate this model that you have or someone who's just dealing with providing services for homeless children? What if you say what's the most three most important things that you would say? Here's what you've got to start with. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. How would you help them start? What's your advice? Wow,
1: that's that's a tough one. Um, I mean, honestly, the replication of this model is something that I've thought about a lot because without our Head Start funding, I don't know how we could stay afloat. To be honest, so funding is is obviously a big piece with any nonprofit.
0: So, the first one is the financial consideration of trying financial to financial consideration. Going.
1: The right. second thing I would say is um is invest heavily in training the staff. Um you know, kind of our our phrase around here is everybody wants to work with the homeless babies until they actually meet the homeless babies. And that's not yeah. because there's anything wrong with the homeless babies, but because people come in and they don't have the skills. And so we invest heavily in training our folks and, and I think that's critical to anybody thinking about working with kids exposed to trauma. And then my next advice would just be to keep with it. There's days where it's really, really hard and you wonder, are you making a difference? And then you have those moments where you can see that you are and you gotta let those
0: moments carry you. Right. So with that, can you tell us about some of the one of those or or pick one of those hardest moments? that you can remember a more recent hardest moment and how did you get through it? I think the hardest moments for
1: us are when families disappear, when we've invested really heavily in a kiddo and his family. And then, you know, for whatever reason, the family falls off the radar. Um, We had a family, the children enrolled with us. They were in foster care. They were enrolled by the foster parents. They were put back with the family after a few months, the family was experiencing homelessness. So they were living in a hotel um, there was domestic violence, there was substance abuse, there was all kinds of things. And through this whole period, we were the constant and our models really built on attachment. Our teachers stay with their kids as long as possible. We don't switch teachers very often. And so um, we had invested all this and then something happened and um, and the family just disappeared and we didn't know where they were and we couldn't find them. And those are the moments that really are are really hard to face. And you wonder, like, did we do anything? Did we did we make a difference? And I have to step back and look at it and think, I know that we gave those kids some skills that they that they're going to need. I know that they're leaving here and they're going to face difficult things, but they're leaving here with skills they wouldn't have had without this place.
0: No question. Absolutely no question. So if you had now talking to teachers, not replicating a program or doing what you're doing. But if you just had some steps for tomorrow, so people are facing children with trauma, they're facing children who have huge behaviors, what would be your top three things for their step? What could they do tomorrow that might help them and the children in their care? What's the first thing?
1: I think everybody that's in this field has those moments where they're like, there's got to be an easier way to make money. I could work at Starbucks, (laughs) I could anything. Um, and especially when we see increasing difficulty with managing behaviors. And I, my best advice to teachers is it's not happening to you. This behavior is not happening to you. It's happening in front of you. And I got that from you, Dr. Bailey, but it's really impacted the way I think about things. When I see a behavior, it's not personal. It's not happening to me. And then I can shift my focus from how do I make this child stop whatever he's doing to, how do I help this child? And so number one would be to stop taking it personally. Number two, I would say um, focus on that child's need for safety and connection. And and think about the people who've been able to teach you over the course of your life. They're people who you've been connected to. So make a connection with that child and you'll be amazed at what that child will do. And then my my third thing would be don't give up. What you're doing is is just exponentially more important than being a rock star or an athlete or anything else. And we're never going to get the accolades or the public re- recognition that we deserve in this field. But what you're doing is is so important.
0: And um, don't give up. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm going to take that to my heart.
1: Can people come see you? Absolutely. We've already had some people come visit.
0: Wonderful. The name of the school, it's the playing field in Madison, Wisconsin. And if you want to see full implementation of conscious discipline with two groups of children merged together in one school family, then this is the place to go visit. So any last things you want to tell us, Abby, if you had a voice and you could get on the microphone and talk to everybody in the world, you want them to know this. Any last thing you want to say?
1: If I could talk to everybody in the whole world, I would say that we need to invest in our zero to five. Uh, We are getting these children at such a critical point in brain development, and we have such an opportunity to impact them for the rest of their lives. And that would be my my wish was that we would really invest in these programs so that this model could be replicated all over the place.
0: And I certainly agree. Abby, I want to thank you for all that you're doing. I want to thank you for your courage. I want to thank you for presenting a model that can bring us all closer together that represents we are all in this together, that takes this genetically wired compassion that's in us all and uses it and expands it so that we keep in mind that it's heart to heart, one person at a time. And thank you for joining us on Real Talk for Real Teachers, Abby. Thank you for having me. And for the rest of you listening, until next time, we wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.